The road from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 18 miles long. It's a little hard to see in the light, but over those hills over there is Jerusalem. You walk through scenery that looks like this, and just over that ravine over there is Jericho by the River Jordan. It's about 18 miles. Jerusalem sits at about 3,000 feet above sea level. Jericho sits at about 1,000 feet below sea level. So in that 18 miles, you also traverse 4,000 feet of elevation change. Now, it's not on top of all of those hills that you walk, but there is actually a road because this was a common road that was traveled. This road was traveled by John the Baptist. This road was traveled by Jesus and the apostles. This road was traveled by priests and Levites, and really any traveler that was going in between Jerusalem and Jericho. It's a hard road to walk. Now, if you look a little closer at this road up here, we've got another shot. This is a monastery that was built down on that road in about the 4th century, either 4th century or 5th century, somewhere in that time frame. I always get those a little confused. But this monastery was built there, and it's built along that road. There's a road down in that ravine that people would travel, and it was always known as a dangerous road. As well-traveled as it was, it wasn't always safe. I wanted you to see what this road looks like, because as Jesus tells this parable, you get to imagine then a little bit more of what's in the mind of the lawyer as he hears this parable spoken, and you see the smallness of this road too. It wasn't a wide beaten path. It was a hiking trail. Again, as well-traveled as it was, it was still a hard road to walk. So as Jesus is teaching, this lawyer comes up, and don't think of a lawyer in a suit and a tie and in court. A lawyer that uh, is well-versed in the laws of the Torah. A lawyer that uh, understands God's laws. He's not a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a religious leader necessarily, but he's one who knows God's word. He's one who knows the background of where God's word has come from. He's one who knows how that word applies in life. And he stands before Jesus as Jesus is teaching, and he says, who is my neighbor? Which are interesting words, especially if you think of what we read in Leviticus. It's pretty well laid out who the neighbor is, right? Or at least what to do with your neighbor. So this lawyer knew exactly what to do with a neighbor. He knew how to uh, provide for them. He knew how to protect. He knew how to not steal from them, how to uh, help them along in life. He knew how to treat them well because all of that is laid out. The trick is, who do you do it for? See, it's It's an interesting question. Because as genuine as it sounds to say, all right, Jesus, who is my neighbor that I can go do all this stuff for? The backside of that question is, who isn't my neighbor? Who do I not have to pay attention to? Who do I need to focus all of my energies on? Who, who can I let go by the wayside? Who can I walk past Jesus? And that starts to hit kind of close to home as we start to think of who we walk past from time to time. And we start to ask some of the same questions. Well, who is my neighbor? Who do I give the dollar to? Who do I sit with for a while? Who do I go help? And I think you all know a 
who that neighbor is, what that neighbor looks like. A lot of times that neighbor looks like a single mom struggling to be mom and dad in the house, raise a kid. Sometimes that neighbor looks like a widow, hungry on a weekend, hasn't been able to go out and shop. Maybe a neighbor looks like a hungry college kid that on the outsides is doing just fine, but then sitting at home, maybe far from family or friends. And it's hard sometimes to think about who and how we can be a neighbor to that person. But see, no matter what, as much as we think of how we can be a neighbor, as much as we hear this parable about what it looks like to be a neighbor and who we need to be a neighbor to and who walks along in our life, we end up being left kind of half dead on the road. Because I know when I think of the people that I've walked past and I think of the people that I haven't spent time with and I think of the people that I haven't listened to closely enough and I think of the people that walk along looking like they've got everything pretty much handled even though they need help and I just kind of let it be, I start to feel the guilt lay in on me of how maybe I could have been a better neighbor. And so it's a hard question to wrestle with, who is my neighbor? Because I start to think about how I haven't been a very good neighbor. And sometimes that's someone across the living room from me. And so that neighborly attitude, that neighborly mindset, as much as we think of how and who we can be that neighbor to, like I said, we end up kind of lying on that road next to the guy beat and broken. And I think that's where that lawyer ends up sitting as well because at the end of that conversation, he asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, well, what kind of neighbor have you been? Look at this Samaritan guy. Okay, Jewish storytelling really quick. Not that I'm going to tell a Jewish story, but the, the concept, the framing of a Jewish story, there's this idea of threes, okay? You get it in jokes. Like if I were to start the sermon with a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walk down a road, you're getting ready for a joke of some sort, right? Okay, in Jewish storytelling, uh, as Jesus lays into this parable, now remember, Jesus and the lawyer are real. The story itself is not a historical telling. It is a parable. It's a lesson teaching, right? And so Jesus starts out, and he says a man's walking down a road, and he's beaten up. Okay, he's setting the stage, right? An anonymous man, we have no nationality to him whatsoever, just some general guy is laid out on the road, beaten in some terrible way, and those guys might still be around the corner somewhere in this story. We don't really know. They just left him for half dead, okay? But a priest walked by. In this Jewish storytelling, generally you would have three characters, and generally they would all be connected. And so you have a priest that walks by, you have a Levite that walks by, so this lawyer, the next thing he's thinking is, okay, somebody else who either serves at the temple or just the general marketplace Jewish guy down in the street. But Jesus switches it up on him. He says, a Samaritan. Now, over all of the years, we've taken that Samaritan name and we've put a really good picture on it. In fact, we call him good, right? We call him the Good Samaritan. There's the Good Sam uh, traveling club. There's uh, the Good Samaritans in the news. There's all of these things connected with the Good Samaritan. But in that day, there was nothing good that a Jewish guy would see about a Samaritan. 
They were a, a mixed race. They weren't really the, the true Israelites. They weren't really the true children of God. They were ones that worshipped at a different temple. They worshipped in a different setting. Even though they still said they followed Yahweh, they didn't necessarily worship at the right place or do the right things or live in the right way or follow the same laws. And there was a lot of animosity between these two. So for this lawyer to hear, a Samaritan came walking down the road. The lawyer's mindset's going to immediately kind of kick to, yeah, and he walked by and kicked him. You know, that's kind of where his mindset was going to go with this. But see, it's not where Jesus went at all, is it? You know the story well. I don't have to retell the whole parable to you. You know what this Samaritan had done. And if we sit in the one question of who is my neighbor, I think we lose a lot. See, because if we sit in that one question of who is my neighbor, then we start focusing again on what we have to do or who it is that we have to do it with. And though many of those things are good and right things to do, we miss the first question of the lawyer. And the first question of the lawyer was, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Well, that's one that we can wrestle with with this parable. Because the only life that's brought in the midst of this parable is life brought to the dead guy. So what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Well, that means I must be dead. So we sit in our guilt. We sit where we see we're not a neighbor, and we see where we're at, beaten and broken on the side of the road, laying, waiting for help, with nothing to be able to do for ourselves but wait for unexpected grace, wait for unexpected love, wait for unexpected compassion. And that idea of compassion, we talk about compassion from our heart in our culture, right? In a lot of Latin American cultures, you talk about compassion from the kidneys or the liver. In the Greek culture, you talk about compassion from the gut. It's a gut-wrenching love. It's something that is all-consuming and just makes you pour everything that you have within yourself into somebody. That's the compassion that the Samaritan had. That's the compassion that is told to this lawyer as the lawyer is trying to find a checklist of things to do to say, I know what, it needs to, what needs to be done, but who do I do it to? Jesus says, no, it's an all-encompassing, gut-wrenching love that it needs to be poured out here for somebody that doesn't even seem like they need it. See, because if someone is laying dead on the side of the road anonymous, there was no way to tell what nationality he was. There was no way to tell where he came from. There was no way to tell what connection he had to anything. Just that he needed help. And that's where we lay. That's where we sit in our sin. That's where we sit in our guilt. And it's Christ that has that gut-wrenching love, that compassion, that grace, that mercy to spend time, to listen, to lift us up and bring us life. And that's exactly what he does for you. Because as we look at what we don't do for our neighbor, Christ continues to say, yeah, but I still love you. I love you and I hold on to you. I will pick you up and I will take you to that inn and pour oil and wine on the wounds and bind you up and spend the night with you and the next morning promise to provide everything that you need so that you're taken care of, so that you're healthy, so that you're brought to eternal life. Because remember, that's the driving question. 
And as much as we may not see some of that health now in this time, we know that that eternal life is there. But that eternal life is there solely by what Christ has done for you, solely by the love that he has given you, solely by the compassion and mercy that he pours out into your life. It's a beautiful, beautiful parable. And then he does end it with go and do likewise. Which I would have to imagine for that lawyer was a little gut-wrenching, but in a different way. Because all of a sudden he sees that he has to live in a different way. He has to show mercy in a different way. And I think as we still sit within that first question of what do I do to inherit eternal life, that's where we see Christ's main, main focus within this parable on this long road that's traveled with the danger around different corners and everything else that comes along, Christ still says, when you're dead in those sins, I'm there. And I'm there to care for you and I'm there to love you and I'm there to pick you back up and I'm there to give you forgiveness and I'm there to pour everything of myself into you so that you would be made alive. And that's exactly what he does for you. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and compassion for your creation. We thank you for the free gift of life that you pour out over us through your mercies and through the blood of your Son, Christ, as he died for us and lives for us to bring us and give us life. We thank you for the forgiveness that you give, and we pray that you give us the strength to look out and see where our neighbors are. Give us the strength to be a neighbor as you have been a neighbor to us first. Guide us each day to live in your love and share that love freely with all those who you bring into our lives. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please?